This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in. Link Kick is live. It is Thursday night, December 30th. Yes, the year of our Lord, 2021 for the last time. There's a lot of blue in the studio tonight. Look, we were out doing live hits today. We've been all around Miami and Fort Lauderdale and everywhere in between. And I did not trust that I could make it back to the hotel to get the white t-shirt, which was at the dry cleaners, just got it back. And so I made the executive decision to just sport the CBS Sports HQ blue polo. Then I got here and I realized, you idiot, you're in Eastern time. I was working off Central time. In Central Time, we start this show at 7 o'clock, so uh, I had time to take a nap, as it turns out. But look, we got a lot to get to tonight. We are jam-packed. We are 24 hours away, really less now if you think about it, from the college football playoff. We will be on the field here at the Orange Bowl for Georgia-Michigan. Uh, we are going to talk a lot about that tonight. I'm just I'm looking as we speak at so many thoughts scribbled here, because I was upstairs just as you have been in the last hour, and I was watching the Music City Bowl. And I live in Nashville, and that game was in Nashville. And I know that robbery is illegal downtown, especially robbery is illegal, and it happened to Tennessee. Now, you know we were on Purdue plus the points on the Ramen Noodle Express, but man, we didn't want to win that way, uh, but it happened. We're going to talk about bowls in just a second. There is a war on bowls out there, my friends, up to and including being waged by someone perhaps employed by this very company. We pull no punches. There's no logo on this polo. I don't know. I think we have something there. Uh, We'll workshop that. But we're going to open the inbox tonight. We ended the show the other night with Q&A, and we got such great reception from that that we're going to pretty much do the last three quarters of the show Q&A tonight. I put out the tweet earlier today. I got a whole lot of good stuff, probably stuff that we would have talked about if we just stacked the show ourselves anyway. But as I said, we're live here in Fort Lauderdale slash Miami. We've been all around South Florida all day and all week. A couple of things I've learned. I need a yacht. I mean, I just, I need a yacht really bad. And secondly, those iguanas don't give an inch. We were trying to set up a live shot earlier today, and I saw an iguana, which for someone from Georgia is essentially a dinosaur. And then one of our buddies, Jake Rowe, with Dogs 24-7, recounted a tale uh, of his own with one of these iguanas down here. They're all over the place. Like, if you live in Georgia, your squirrels are South Florida's iguanas. Uh, They can run. On their hind legs, they can run really fast, and they're aggressive, and they know they were here long before you were, and they show it. They're, they really, they're territorial, and they don't care. They won't bite you, I don't think at least. Hadn't had that kind of experience with them yet. But, you know, you're, you set up, and you expect, they're like birds, squirrels, or get out of the way. They don't move. They don't move. So, uh, learning a lot. Could stand to stay down here another month, but we can't do that. we got a lot to get to tonight, so let's dive into the show. So much ratchetness going on in the world of bowls right now. Uh, My goodness, where do we begin? So this morning, you probably woke up like I did. And you you, if you got contacts like me, you don't automatically put them in. You just kind of peruse Twitter and your inbox with one eye open, squinting as hard as you can. It's great for the retina. 
And this morning, you probably saw that our buddy Danny Cannell has chosen to just wage a war on bowls. I want you to look at this if you're watching on YouTube. Quote from Daniel. If this year has taught us anything, it's this. 42 bowl games is too many. It's not even a debate at this point. That's the best thing. When someone says something very ratchet and controversial at the least, if they follow it up with, and it's not even a debate. That's kind of like our old go-to in college football. It's like you got a team that's favored by one point and people are picking the game. My favorite thing is so-and-so is going to win and it ain't going to be close. You got someone who is in a statistical dead heat with another running back. So-and-so is the better running back and it ain't close. Uh, Nine times out of 10, Scratch that. 9,999 times out of, what would that be, 10,000? When someone says it's not a debate or when someone says it's not close, it's almost always a debate. And it's almost always close. So Danny Cannell rolls that out there this morning. If you've been watching the bowl games today, I don't think he could have picked a worse day to take a stance against bowls. So I was thinking about this because there's been a lot of talk about bowls and there's been a lot of talk about the value decreasing in bowls. And there's been a lot of talk about that phrase that is dirty around here. I mean, we have labeled it hate speech to suggest that bowl games can be meaningless. We don't believe in that. We never have. We never will. Bowl games are a special, special thing. We think they're a gift from God and we don't need to shave them away just because someone may not like them. So let's dive into this a little bit because this didn't start today. I mean, there have been other people that have had a version of this opinion. Some of them are correlated with we need to have more playoff games. We need to turn some of the bowl season into an expanded playoff, yada, yada, yada. So we've got a second graphic here. There are several of these screenshots. The second screenshot, guys, that we had with Danny Cannell today, let's just dive into this. We are going to let a lot of the casuals out there speak vicariously through Danny Cannell via Twitter. I think it's hilarious. This is Danny talking. I think it's hilarious that people who fight against playoff expansion because it would, quote, ruin the regular season. That would be me, by the way, are totally fine with a zillion bowl games, which have absolutely ruined bowl season. That's the kind of thing that looks good on Twitter. It probably felt good when he typed it. It's wrong. It's trash. He's not trash. This is one of those times where you got to really go back and read the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. Hate the tweet. Love the tweeter. That's what we got to do here. Love Danny. Hate the tweet. This is trash. Uh, this This is hot, wet trash. Here's what I have talked about on this show before, and you remember this, and so I'll reiterate just for argument's sake if you're new around here. There is, amongst some out there, the feeling that we have too many bowl games. Okay, let me address two of these things at the same time. The too many bowl games crowd. It's as easy and as simple to me as don't watch. You know, the same folks who complained about there being too many games, by the way, were locked onto that screen and locked onto this phone about an hour ago, less than an hour ago, when Tennessee and Purdue were trading shots in a pinball game up in Nashville. So they seem to enjoy it at least enough to watch. If you don't enjoy it, don't watch. That's cool. Some of you like Lifetime movies. I've never been a fan of them. Outside of Night of the Twisters starring Devin Sawa, I've never been a big fan of Lifetime movies. I don't say there are too many Lifetime movies, even though truth be told there probably are. I just don't watch them. No one's forcing you to watch them. This is a free country, my friend. In fact, it's so free, you had the freedom to say what you said this morning. Uh, When I'm college football commissioner, you may not have those freedoms, so enjoy them while you can, but you do have those freedoms. That's been the long and short of my take on the whole too many bowl games crowd. But Danny did not stop there. You saw what he said. He said, the crowd out there who thinks that expanding the playoff would water down the regular season. To be clear, that is me. He's saying that, well, why don't you have a problem with there being a zillion bowl games, which is ruined bowl season? 
Because there being a zillion bowl games has not ruined bowl season. It hasn't ruined it at all. I want to take a second now to think critically, and this is kind of foreign on Twitter, but think critically for a second. When was the first time you started hearing the phrase meaningless bowl game? When is the first time you started hearing people, whether on TV or around the water cooler at work, start using phrases like, that's just an exhibition. Well, these games don't really mean anything. It's not when they started adding more games. Even though coincidentally that is on a timeline when it started, you know as well as I do. That's not why those phrases started to percolate into the college football mainstream. It happened with the advent of the college football playoff. I don't blame the playoff solely. I've told you my thoughts on this. What happened with the advent of the playoff is we also had a network. Fortunately, not this one, but we had a network with rights to that playoff that hammered home from August all the way through kickoff of the semifinal games. Who's in? Who's in? Who's in? You could not turn on a Central Michigan versus Miami of Ohio game on a Saturday in mid-September without every other commercial break or every other timeout. And they go back to the booth featuring a graphic about how this week correlates and relates and, and what it means for the playoff. And you got tired of it. Well, here's what also happened. What also happened is you fell for it. Not all of you. Some of you fell for it. And we started having those phrases like meaningless bowl games. And what that came to mean was any game that's not tied into the playoff is a meaningless bowl game. Some people started saying it. Then more people started saying it. And what happened was players listened. And then some players started opting out. And then a whole lot more of them started opting out. Now, foolishly, I think, some people have come back and they've had revisionist history and they've come to diagnose more bowl games as being the reason why guys opt out. That's not the reason. That's absolutely not the reason. It wouldn't matter if we tacked on 15 more bowls. It wouldn't matter if we shaved off 15 bowls. You've made the bed now, to a large extent, with the new culture that surrounds bowl season as it relates to the way the playoffs covered. Bookmark that for just a second. So then Daniel goes further. He's been on a warpath today. The third thing that he said is, uh, here's his fix. Expand the playoffs, contract the bowls. All righty. Uh, you, well, you know I'm not a fan of expanding the playoffs. We do have a question coming up later. If I were made the commissioner and we had to expand the playoff, what kind of expansion would I want? Well, I will answer that. But you know in, in a perfect world, I don't stand for it at all. Expanding the playoff and contracting the bowls. What would that really mean here? Uh, because if one happens, I assume the other happens. So I assume if we do expand the playoff, this is the direction we go. How is that the fix? Everyone wants a fix. How's that the fix? My principle on this is I don't think more of the thing that initially caused the mess cleans up the mess. But I know it sounds good. Again, that probably felt good to type. Just like it probably felt good for a lot of people, and I'll include myself here, back in 2011, 2012, when you saw that breaking news, college football will have a four-team playoff. What did you think? There was no downside. Like It was all upside, right? It's funny how things work out. Because there have been some prices we've had to pay in the playoff era that I don't think you ever could have seen coming. And certainly, you know, right now the Peach Bowl's on. I don't think you ever would have thought Pitt and Michigan State are going to make it to a very, very lofty New Year's six-level bowl game less than a decade later, and their star players are going to opt out of the Peach Bowl. Yet, because of the ramifications of having a playoff, you could safely say that is reality now. Well, I've talked about this before. There's an assumption out there that I think is 
possibly falsely based, that if we expand the playoff, kids will always look at a playoff game like we do now. You got four spots right now. Uh, certainly no one would ever sit out a playoff game right now. There's a lot of value when you only got four spots. Scarcity equals value. It's the same in economics as it is in the college football playoff. There is an assumption out there that you could expand to eight, you could expand to 12, you could expand to 16, and it wouldn't matter because a playoff spot would always be a playoff spot. I don't believe that. I do believe it would be the case for a few years. But then I think we would get into very dangerous territory because I think you'd see a lot of blowouts. And what you would have is you'd start to have some matchups where those point spreads are really fat because you got really, really good teams against teams that, I don't know, auto-bidded their way in or they snuck their way into like a 12 or 13 or 15 seed. And that'd be four-plus touchdown spreads on games, 24-point spreads. And then the day would come, and sure enough, you would hear these words come out of someone's mouth. Meaningless playoff game. It sounds stupid right now. I know it does. I know what you're saying. I see you wagging your finger. It wouldn't happen immediately. Just as Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker opting out of this game tonight, that stuff didn't happen immediately. It took a few years. But what was once completely unheard of is now the norm. It is unheard of. It is totally unconscionable to even suggest right now that a playoff game could ever carry less than maximum weight. I am telling you I fully believe it would. And secondly, your expanded playoff still doesn't solve the problem that a lot of these bowls have right now. I mean, you got bowls being played like the Cheez-It Bowl. Well, that's not impacted with your expanded playoff one way or the other. I mean, you are essentially you are essentially taking hedge clippers and you are totally detaching the rest of bowl season from the playoff. The playoff games do carry significance. Outside of that, you think that some bowl games feel meaningless now. It would be perma-meaningless. From that, that layer of playoff down, it would be perma-meaningless. I am a believer as I tweeted out about an hour ago, I'm a believer that Shawshank Redemption is a great movie. And I put a quote as it relates to bowl season on Twitter. I didn't direct it to anyone, although I kind of did. And I said, bowls are a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. That's what Red told Andy Dufresne as it relates to hope, or I guess Andy told Red. I'm saying that about bowl season. I don't have a problem with it. Put everyone in a bowl for all I care. I'm long past the thinking that this is merely everyone gets a participation trophy sort of culture. No, that's not what this is. And if you think it is, that's cool. We can agree to disagree. Don't watch. It's as simple as that. If you really think you got much better options on TV on December 23rd, 24th, go somewhere else and watch something else. But a lot of us have been entertained by this this year and every year for that matter. Okay, let's continue to roll on. I uh, appreciate you guys watching live. I know a lot of people are obviously watching games right now, so we'll have inordinate traffic on this podcast tomorrow morning. Uh, by the way, if you want to listen via podcast, it's available. Late Kick with Josh Payton, anywhere you get your podcast. Tell you what else is available. Pretty much anything you want at Academy Sports and Outdoors. I was out to eat last night. We went to a great place. Can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, they got like a bazillion seafood places down here. and We did not order ribs, unlike one of our peers in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, but I got a great big platter full of every kind of fish in the sea. Handed out some Academy gift cards last night. And I did not even remember I had them in my pocket until I reached in there, tried to pull out a debit card. Boom, Academy gift cards instead. Now, it should be noted, as of this moment, seafood restaurants in Fort Lauderdale do not take Academy gift cards as forms of payment. Yet, who knows what 2022 has in store. But I'm going to see a lot of you down here, and I do have a lot of Academy gift cards in tow. So be on the lookout probably be dressed 
very similar to the way I'm dressed here tonight. I feel like a banker in this thing. Pretty much anything that has a collar on it feels a little bit too fancy for my blood. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, we began college football season with them. We are ending college football season with them. And then we'll sail right into the spring with them. Academy Sports and Outdoors or Academy.com. I think a lot of you have found that very convenient. I would say it's probably a 50-50 split right now when you guys send me pictures of receipts. Of a physical receipt versus one online. So a lot of you live in places where there may not be an Academy Sports and Outdoor store. You just hit up academy.com. A lot of you got presents. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, that came from academy.com and Academy Sports and Outdoors. They make this show possible. I try and hammer that home as often as possible to show our appreciation to them and to remind you, you are helping this show directly when you purchase things that if we're being real with ourselves, you need anyway. You're going to go get it anyway. Don't go to a place that doesn't give our show the time of day. Go to a place that looks at themselves as one of us. Boom, boom, boom. One of us. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Really appreciate them always being on board. That's been a fun ride this year. Uh, something tells me we're just getting started with them. I don't know. We'll see. Something tells me. All right. I told you earlier today, we got great reception the other day when we did Q&A. So let's dive into some more Q&A. We got a lot of good stuff here. Also, if you'll notice, uh, I have this nice little commemorative Orange Bowl cup on the set. And it's filled with... What looks like chocolate milk. Well, this is not chocolate milk. It is a cocktail of whey protein and 180 milligrams of black coffee caffeine. What we're using it for is partly because it's winter bulk season. Uh, number two, because I've been up for like 92 hours in a row. And number three, I have a very scratchy voice. Voice could go in any second. And what we found out upstairs is the texture of this particular drink really soothes the voice. So we're going to pause. Dead air. They teach you never to do this, but dead air. Let it go down smooth. Close the top. Okay. The Orange Bowl and Publix made that possible for us today. Let's get into some of this Q&A. Some fascinating questions here. Our buddy Chris starts us off. He said, is there anything that you can point to for us Georgia fans that shows Kirby Smart has adapted his offensive thinking from man ball to understanding passing is equally important? Yes, Chris, there is something I could point to. It's not going to be good enough for you, so I'm going to spoil the ending. But there are a few things I could point to. you got to really take all this stuff within the proper context. So this two seasons ago, two summers ago, sounds like a Morgan Wallen song. Two summers ago, he goes out. Not only does he hire Todd Munkin, but he also goes and gets Jamie Newman and he gets JT Daniels. Now, I want you to remember, this is, this is just before COVID happens. I want you to remember what it felt like at that point because I probably felt the same way you did. I thought... Man, look at Kirby Smart. He realizes what he needs to do. They got whipped by LSU, and they know that they can't keep losing that way. So they go, and they got what they thought were, out of the two quarterbacks, at least one solid option. Jamie Newman never plays a down for him. JT Daniels is hurt. Plus, you got COVID that takes away the entire spring, so you can't install fully. And so Kirby Smart reverts back to form because he felt, I'm not going to go with a bunch of uncertainty when I got spring football taken away from me, and just see if it works. Like, that's Xbox world. That's not reality. Okay, so that largely explains last year to me. Then we get into this season. And I feel like, as they approach the season, I feel like they were committed to throwing the ball. Then their wide receiver room starts to get gutted. And we get into the beginning of the season, and they play Clemson. And really early on, you realize that's a defensive slugfest. But once they got through that, they had the entire schedule. I am fully convinced that they planned on opening that offense up to a much larger degree 
through the air than you've seen. JT Daniels goes down again. They start having to face the realization, maybe we're never going to have this guy at the level we thought we were going to have him. Uh, Stetson Bennett, he is who he is. He isn't who he isn't. We know what we have there. That gets us to present day. I mean, they thought they had a wide receiver room that was ready to go, and it just wasn't. It just wasn't. So I know that doesn't do anything to really calm your fears. The only thing I'm suggesting is I don't think it's ignorance. I don't think he, being Kirby Smart, I don't think he's ignoring the reality of college football. I think he's tried to get the dynamics in place. They haven't quite gelled the way that he wants them to yet. And it makes you look across the river over there in Alabama at the University of and Nick Saban and look at how easy they make it look. And it should make you appreciate it. Because there are other folks out there who recruit at a high level that are trying everything they can and they still can't get there. It's not nearly as easy as Nick Saban makes it look. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Next up, our buddies at College Football Unlimited. Really good account to follow, by the way. I would highly suggest you guys do. Visit their website. I believe it's collegefootballunlimited.com. They said, do you like bowl affiliation with certain conferences? If we're talking about making bowls a little more interesting, it might be an opportunity for the future. I'm just really jealous we don't get to see an SEC squad in the Rose Bowl unless it's a playoff game. So the Rose Bowl is an interesting concept there because even if we were to adjust the conference tie-ins, I don't think the Rose Bowl would adjust. And I used to trash the Rose Bowl a lot. And I was younger and I was, I was uh, well, a little stupider. And I didn't really get it. The Rose Bowl has stuck to tradition. I mean, they have clung to it. And it is Big Ten and it is Pac-12 and that's what it's going to be until the playoff rotates through there. But, but by and large, it's going to be Big Ten versus Pac-12. And I used to think to myself, they need to get with the times. You know, they need, to, they need to roll with the punches. They need to roll with the changes. They need to get on board or get left behind. Well, you know what? We fast-forwarded a few years, and I look at how quickly some of the powers that be in this sport have thrown tradition into the wood chipper, and I look out at the Rose Bowl, and I tip my cap to them. I say, good for you guys. Good for you. Look, I grew up in the South. Selfishly, I would love to see Alabama or LSU or South Carolina, whoever. I would love to see them with an opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl because I think it's as awesome a setting as anyone else does. But I really appreciate, like I never used to do, they're clinging to some semblance of what used to be in college football. See, what used to be is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it is and you need to change. Sometimes you had it right all along and you didn't need to change. I think the Rose Bowl thinks they're in the latter category there. But outside of the Rose Bowl, I'm willing to make them the exception to the rule. Yeah, yeah, I I would like to see every conference affiliation outside of the Rose Bowl with all of these bowl games. 
just reshuffled entirely. Like, we don't get SEC Pac-12. They're, they're just matchups we don't get. I'll tell you what else I'd love to do if you're letting me restructure bowl season. I would love to seed bowls evenly. Right now, I mean, I got an inbox full of folks who are asking me, hey, man, I, I guess uh, I guess you were wrong about the SEC, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I already know where they're going. And they say, well, look, look at the SEC's bowl record. Like, what do I care about that? For those of you who have been tuned into this show more than one year, you know and probably remember vividly, there have been years where the SEC has dominated bowl season. And I've come on the air. I could have conveniently used that as ammunition. And I've said, look, I still believe what I believe about the SEC. This bowl record has nothing to do with it. Like, I don't really care about the bowl record. The reason I don't care is because bowl games cumulatively even, do not tell you nearly as much as you think they do about relative conference strength. The only way that that would be different is if you turned over the reins to me and as college football commissioner, I took bowl season and I seeded it. So if you're an SEC team and you finish fourth in the conference, I'm going to have you play the fourth place team from another conference. And look, if you still have an Owen whatever record, well, then you had a down year. Or at least I'm a lot closer to thinking that. Still think bowl records are a little anecdotal, but I'd be a lot closer to thinking that. But right now, we got a situation where, like, the Big Ten's number two will beat the ACC's number six. And people say, Big Ten, superior. They may be. It has nothing to do with that result. Uh, I would be worried if it were the opposite, if the lower-seeded teams were beating the higher-seeded teams from your conference. But yeah, I would love to see a lot of those affiliations just redefined. If nothing else, just redefined. Uh, CFB fan, next up. Do you think the quick rebuild using the transfer portal is a sustainable method? Michigan State's done this most recently. And is it sustainable for new coaches to get competitive fast? I think it's a great option if you get it right, but can absolutely see scenarios where it further hinders a coach's culture they're trying to build. This is a good question. So what he's saying essentially is take what Michigan State did last year and this year. They just they pillaged the transfer portal and they put together a darn good team in the process. Is that sustainable? In other words, is that just the way you could go about it or are there a lot of downsides? Uh, I don't necessarily view that as sustainable. No, I think there are a ton of downsides. Very slippery slope because look, if you're defining culture, it is really hard to define that with one and done type guys. It's just, it takes so long for that to permeate. You got to have a foundation. Your foundation will never be built on the transfer portal. It's, it's no different than a Christmas tree. You go get the Christmas tree the same way you always have. If you're going the real route, you either go to a Christmas tree farm or you go out there if you're really hardcore and you cut it down yourself and you prop that thing up in your living room, then you can go get all the pretty ornaments you want to. The ornaments don't make the tree. The tree makes the tree. Recruiting will always make a majority of your roster. Then you can go get some nice, pretty Jameson Williams looking ornaments to add on to it. But man, you really better be nailing evaluation and development. And you better be nailing the recruiting aspect at least enough. Then you can supplement some of the holes with the transfer portal. However, I think I think some programs may have to learn this the hard way. And I think what it equates to in a lot of ways, like in the, in the fitness world, if you work out, you can take the pre-workout. And I take one that's 300 milligrams of pure caffeine. It's like drinking really good flavored gasoline. It gets you to the gym. It gets you in the gym. And it gets you started. But if you don't really have the drive, determination, the focus, et cetera, or also the workout plan, 
pre-workout's not doing anything for you, nor is the transfer portal taking you to a conference championship or the playoff, whatever your lofty goals may be. It's a nice supplement. It is never the meal. Transfer portal should never be the meal if you want long-term sustained success. See, this is how the Late Kick Extra podcast works, by the way. We do them normally. We do them every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning. What you're listening to right now, it is the format. And we just go Q&A. It's it's as rapid fire as I can make it. Sometimes I'm really long-winded. It tends to happen when you sit here alone. But this is the format for those of you who have never listened to that before. It's only podcast when we do it. So uh, give it a listen. Next up, Steve. Very interesting question. I have to word this carefully because Nick Saban gets a hold of this stuff sometimes. Steve says, in the playoff era, where do you rank this year's Alabama team among the other Alabama teams to make it? Is this year the worst team of the bunch? Tells you everything you need to know about Alabama. I think the data is incomplete here. If we are defining what Alabama currently is by the team we've seen so far this year, there were, there were some hiccups against Texas A&M. There were some near stumbles against the likes of LSU and Florida. So, yes, if I'm defining the 2021 Alabama team as what we saw, let's just say the entire regular season, yeah. I mean, if this Bama team were to win a championship, certainly I would favor every other championship team over this one. Uh, maybe not the 09 team because the style of football has changed. And I don't think you realize how good Bryce Young would be against 09 Alabama until you saw it. But that's another conversation for another day. But here's the point I'm trying to make. What if we watch Bama this Friday, tomorrow, and they just light Cincinnati up? Then they go to the playoff and they win by two or three scores. And they kind of do, like if we talked about the other day, what Clemson did in 2018. They have some ups and downs, but then they get to the playoff and they're just shot out of a cannon. Well, how do you define the 2021 team? Is it the team you saw in the playoff? The one that played at the highest level when it mattered the most? And that's why I say the data is incomplete right now. Because I don't know what we're going to see. I think they're going to win by double digits tomorrow. And I listen, here's what's going to be really fun. What's going to be really fun is you got, I think, a majority of you. You can, you can answer me if I'm wrong here. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'll just, I'll just sense it. We're live. I can't actually see you, but I'll sense it. If Alabama and Georgia were to score off for the national championship, as soon as the final bell hits in tomorrow night's Orange Bowl, and we've got the matchup, if I were to ask you five seconds, give me a winner, give me a winner, I think a majority of you would pick Alabama. Maybe a super majority, I don't know. But that SEC championship would be so fresh in your minds. And then the point spread would come out. As we sit here today, if nothing huge changes tomorrow, and both those teams win, and it's Georgia-Bama in the championship game, what do you think the line would be? Well, it's, already, it's already available, if you know where to look. Georgia's going to be favored over Bama, again. Not by seven, not by six, but they will be favored over Alabama again. And that's going to be really fun. Uh, I, actually, I don't think it'll be fun for a lot of you. I think a lot of you are rooting for Michigan and or Cincinnati. But if that matchup were to happen, it'd be really interesting. Because it may have that same old dynamic. I can assure you if Will Anderson thinks he's an underdog against Cincinnati, a G5 team that's toting 14 points from Vegas into this game, he will think it is literally him against the world and Neptune and Pluto, rest in peace, and everything else in the galaxy when it is them versus Georgia again. A lot of, there's a lot of Clemson vibe to this year's Alabama team. Uh, next up is Sean. This is the question I mentioned earlier on in the show. This one's uh, kind of painful. Kind of creative. It was good enough to get on the show. 
Sean said, let's say the NCAA offers you the title of college football commissioner on the condition that you implement some form of playoff expansion. What expansion format do you choose? Well, the first thing I want to do, well, first thing I want to do is I want to take another sip of the protein caffeine cocktail here. Mm. It's really good. So, Sean, I don't think the NCAA has the power to make me college football commissioner, nor do I want them handing me the scepter of college football commissioner. I would love to be elected as college football commissioner. And in a perfect world, you guys do that. Uh, notice we don't live in a perfect world. This is no fairy tale world. Second Shawshank quote of the show. But if I were to get to define uh, how, how exactly did we word this? You get to be commissioner, but you have to implement some form of playoff expansion. Well, I would make it as minimal as possible. What I would do, and I'll tell you, so let me get my format and then I'll tell you my thoughts. I would go to a 16 playoff, not 16, 16 playoff, and I would give the first two buys. No auto bids, just the six highest ranked teams. Now, our buddies at College Football Nerds have floated this format out there. It's never going to happen. If we expand, we're going to 8 or 12, but I would much prefer as small a field as possible. I don't think this would be totally detrimental to the regular season. I prefer four. You could force this pill down my throat, and I probably wouldn't regurgitate it. Very graphic. Here's what that would do. What that would do for the first time is there would be a premium placed on those one and two seeds because those teams would get first-round buys. And I also think that would give us an opportunity maybe to get home field factored in and we could have on-campus playoff games, which should happen either way. I probably should whisper that. Orange Bowl's been taking really good care of me this week. Uh, but outside of that, I don't, I don't support any playoff expansion, but you could sell me, if you were really good, on a six-team format where the top two seeds get a buy and there's no auto bid. See, a lot of people, when they float out the six-team format and I go, oh, that sounds cool, they say, uh, in the very next breath, yeah, 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 man. So you get it, right? Power five conference champs and a G5 auto bid. And then I say, I'm out. Bye. Auto bids are Satan's tool. And they sound so good until you realize, oh, they're not. Essentially what that does is it suggests it's impossible for two of the best six teams in the country to reside in the same conference. All conferences are, are imaginary lines on a map. I could have four of the top six teams in a division any given year. Uh, so, yeah, I don't support auto bids. That six-team format, though, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Next up, uh, our buddy Buckets from down in Columbus, Fort Benning, nearby Fort Mitchell, actually. I'm <laughs> giving away way too much personal info there. He said, why do the majority of analysts believe Michigan will not be able to run the ball effectively against Georgia? Best offensive line in college football. Yes, they won the Joe Moore Award. Two 1,000-yard rushers. One did it in like eight or nine games. And they've shown the ability to be creative in the run game. I'll hang up and listen. He's right about this, you know. There's a good, uh, there's a good gif out there. He's right, you know. He is right. A lot of folks think Georgia's going to stone this run game of Michigan. Now, the B part of that is, if they're right about that, they think that that is game over for Michigan's chances of winning. Because no one out there that I've heard, aside from me, thinks that Michigan could have any success throwing the ball on Georgia. I told you, my path to a Michigan victory, uh, which I did not pick. I picked Georgia to win narrowly, picked Michigan to cover. So I think there's a distinct possibility that anything happens. Convenient for me, I know. 
I think one of the paths for them could be that that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line gives Cade McNamara a little bit more time. Now, maybe they shine in run blocking. I think they could shine in pass pro. I think that if we turn on this game, or I mean, I'm at the game tomorrow night, you're watching on TV, maybe you're here in person, and you're watching Cade McNamara, and there's not bullets flying all around him. And he does have some time to operate. Those running backs, they could be every bit as effective spilling out of the backfield as they could be running halfback ISOs. Uh, There are a number of ways for that running back tandem of Corrin and Haskins, Corrin and Haskins, to operate effectively. So I don't even stop at the run game for Michigan. I would ask, why do people think the running back position won't be overly effective? And if that's the question, my answer is I don't know. Because there really hasn't been a spot this year where they've failed to show up, especially in the bigger games down the stretch. They showed up, showed up very well. I'll tell you something else. You go back and watch Hassan Haskins uh, midway through that Iowa game. There's a sequence where there are two plays where he never gets his hands on the ball, and he is showing his ability in blocking, and he stones a blitzer and frees up time for, I think it was McNamara at the time, to hit a tight end. They end up scoring on that drive. They end up putting the game out of reach. There are so many facets to that Michigan ground game that doesn't always just uh, pertain to handing the ball off to one of those guys. I think it's a key, obviously, in this game. We talked about it a lot today during our live hits. We'll talk about it tomorrow. I think, we, I think we're doing two or three live hits from the stadium. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that aspect of this game. Uh, let's fit one more in here. I think we've got Aaron's question. So Aaron said, <laughs> this is a great way to end the show. How do we get the people that hate college football out of college football? I can't think of another sport that has so many antagonists. Aaron used the word antagonist. We used the word casuals. We capitalized the C. We put the registered trademark logo behind it. Because even though Bud Elliott's been telling you otherwise lately, we did originate that saying here last year, two years ago, five years ago. Uh, But he's free to use it. Everyone's free to use it. Aaron, this is a good question, my friend. Very good question. Let me read it again, mainly because I'm trying to buy myself time to make sure I don't say anything I'm going to regret. How do we get the people that hate college football out of college football? Aaron, you're asking, how do you get the people that don't like college football out of college football? Stop listening to them. Stop reading them. Stop watching them. I don't have to name names, and really, I have no business naming names. The reason this show does so good It's not because of any talent I have or any fancy graphics the production team makes. Because the bottom line is, you could have a very talented person sitting behind this mic. You could have multi-million dollar facilities. And you could have the best graphics and production team in the world. If you don't like it, there's no product. It's off the air. The reason we've been able to thrive is because you've accepted the show. You've accepted the product. It's why I thank you profusely because I know that. I remember when we were independent, and I used to celebrate when we had 20 concurrent viewers. Now we're in the thousands virtually every time we do the show. Some of them hit a six-figure number. It's big, and it means something to us. Maybe everyone else in the industry doesn't think that way, but that's because we didn't come off the classic J-School assembly line like a lot of others did. There are some people who took that classic traditional route and I think do the best work in the industry. There are others who I think are a stain on the industry. I don't have any business naming the names because I shouldn't control your opinion. You know what you think about me or anyone else. But Aaron, you're asking me, 
what about the folks that you think don't like college football who are covering college football? I would tell you do the same thing I do. Tune them out. Tune them. I never call them out by name. I just tune them out. You know, you call them out by name, that's kind of trying to put a fire out with gasoline. That's not the way you do that. Like, we're messing around with Cannell today. I actually like Danny Cannell. I, I don't think he hates college football. I think he's got a swinging and sometimes garbage philosophy on some of the finer points of the sport. Danny Cannell loves college football. There are some folks covering the sport that do not like it. I'm telling you, if I could take you to the Orange Bowl tomorrow and walk you through that press box pregame, you'd see it. Some of them act like it's a chore to be there. Other ones get down on their knees and kiss the logo when they walk in the stadium. We fit the latter camp as opposed to the former camp. Just ignore them would be my answer. See, you ignore a fly, it just hangs around. You ignore someone who needs traffic to generate their relevance and garner a paycheck, they kind of just disappear from the scene. And you never really had to say a word about them. So that would be my advice. I appreciate you guys because uh, I know that you're the reason we're here. Maybe some other folks need to learn that lesson. I think that's a good place to end the show tonight. I appreciate you guys so much for watching. Remember, we'll be on CBS Sports HQ tomorrow. Uh, myself, Dennis Dodd, Big Game Dane's been down here all week with us. We'll be at the Orange Bowl. Barrett Salee is out at the Cotton Bowl. Oh, man. Let me tell you. So I'm not going to complain about this because it's it's pathetic to complain about getting free stuff. We, down here in Miami, did not get a media ping pong tournament. And they got one out in Dallas. And I'm not going to say I would have run through it like hot butter, but I would have. I absolutely would have. And they gave away some sweet prizes. And I love my time that we've spent down here. But it hurts. It hurts me to my core that I was not able to participate. I'm giving a heads up to our friends in Indianapolis. We know some of you guys personally. If you're looking to hit a home run hosting the national championship, media ping pong tournament. That's all you need. And let me serve however I want to. Don't be writing rules I don't want to go by. Media ping pong tournament. Or I don't care, open it up to the public. Uh, that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram. I can assure you it's going to be a really fun, potentially interesting day of content on the social channels tomorrow. At Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're watching. For our entire crew here, our entire crew in Nashville, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your evening. Enjoy the playoff games tomorrow night, and God bless.